You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Please, would you welcome the wonderful Pip Willett. Hey everybody, uh, I'm Pip. Some of you uh, True Stories regulars might recognise me or more recognise my dog, my beautiful dog Raina. Uh, I've not brought her along this evening to everyone's sadness uh, because she absolutely would have shown me up. Uh, but also because I wanted to shit talk her on stage like this. Uh, no, no, that would have been a horrible to, thing to do about your dog. Uh, instead I'm going to say some horrible things about myself because self-deprecation is cute. Uh, this story is uh, all about a time where I ended up stranded and subsequently banned from a village on the uh, edge of the Sahara in the Moroccan-Algerian border. I was in Morocco. Uh, I was a misguided teen. I was accompanying some friends of the family who at the time owned a business where they travelled over to Morocco every few months uh, and did a whistle-stop tour where they bought goods from different families that specialised in creating different products. So Eswario had particularly good ceramics makers. They'd go to Marrakesh for the tanneries for all the leather goods, uh, Taradant for jewellery, uh, some particularly good rug makers who lived in some very secluded uh, cave structures in the North Atlas Mountains. Uh, on this particular trip, John, who would always do all the driving, including the leg to and from Morocco through France and Spain, uh, decided that he wanted to do some driving for fun for once, rather than just uh, rocketing as quickly as he could around this country, and decided he wanted to do some uh, speeding around the sand dunes of the Sahara. So we purposely took a couple of days out of, of the trip in order to make this reality. Uh, this is probably his 20th time I think he'd been to Morocco and he'd always wanted to do it, so it was a bit of a special trip for him. Uh, so we drove as far south as we could possibly get uh, before hitting the Algerian border, staying in a village just outside of a town called Mohammed. Popular name, there are towns called it everywhere in Morocco as well. Uh, and we pulled up just as it was about to get dark with the intention of going and driving across the sand dunes first thing in the morning as the sun was rising. Uh, as a group who, of Westerners who actually weren't just going for a jolly, we were welcomed uh, with incredible amount of hospitality. So as soon, especially as soon as Sarah, who was uh, John's, uh, John's partner at the time, uh, showed an interest in buying some of the jewelry from the different families and the makers in the village, uh, suddenly we were inundated with offers of, of meals, fresh mint tea, and what little, little alcohol could be found in this Muslim village. Uh, so uh, this little village, it's kind of got the same structure as the towns that you see in cowboy movies, western movies, uh, the kind of long strip with a little crossroads in the middle, and so uh, it, with the only real sign of modernity being kind of this bright red, uh, orangey Fanta sign, neon Fanta sign, that showed that you could get this uh, Fanta that seems to be available in a lot of remote parts of the world, the kind of really radioactive orange Fanta, the, the, the real good stuff. Um, so uh, we spent an evening traveling around you know, down this strip between families, being welcomed in, and uh, being treated incredibly well. Uh, after a number of unmarked beers and mystery spirits, I suddenly started to find the confidence to start getting involved in some of the deal-making that Sarah was making with these families and the bargaining that was going on. Although I found that most of the conversation centred around the patriarch of the family asking if I'd been married, 
or if I was betrothed, I assured him that those weren't the case. I was 17 years old. That hadn't happened to me yet. Uh, and I was polite enough to the daughters who were then introduced after I had uh, said that I hadn't, wasn't married. Um, in my broken French and the little bit of Arabic niceties that were along the way, I seemed to get by over the course of those evenings. Uh, this attention was quite uh, a lot for me at the time as a 17-year-old who'd only just stopped, uh, grown out of listening to new metal on my Walkman, uh, my big Papa Roach oversized black hoodie, my uh, three little quarter-length cargo shorts and those impossibly wide Etnies skate shoes that you used to get. Uh, I had my hair spiked up uh, using that blue hair gel that you just scooped out by the handful, applied on, uh, shaped into spikes that I would occasionally dye devil red just really edgy. Uh, I had recently graduated into listening to The Killer's Hot Fuss on that same Walkman, wearing purple cardigans, skinny jeans, silver winkle pickers, and those glasses that didn't actually have any lenses in. Uh, so safe to say teenage me was not getting much attention, uh, and it all went to my head that I was suddenly getting attention from all these families uh, in this remote part of Morocco. Uh, after all the deals were done, we settled down to, uh, to sleep under the stars in the desert uh, in order to get back up early so that John could go and have his gallivant uh, around the sand dunes. Uh, John loved driving around the sand dunes, had a wonderful time, uh, but did get a bit over-enthusiastic with one particularly tall dune, so it wasn't long before we found ourselves stuck in the sand two-thirds of the way up a dune uh, in this 4 by 4 that he insisted was going to get us absolutely everywhere uh, and soon proved itself not to be the case. Uh, we were stranded there for a, for a good hour or so, uh, no supplies, no phone signal, uh, and the, we, then we heard the sound of our saviours coming across from uh, earlier in, uh, further in the desert. Uh, it turns out that these were guys who did a patrol of the desert when they knew that people were going out without guides. So they rocked up in their beaten up uh, 4x4, their Range Rover, hopped out, of the, the, uh, hopped out of the car, assured us they would get us out. One guy hopped into the driver's seat, the other two had these wooden boards that they dug under each of the tires, and they shook the, the R4x4 whilst the uh, driver was putting a little bit of a accelerator on, and it wasn't too long before the car was loose. We were elated at the sight of our loose 4x4 and the prospect of being able to continue our travels, uh, only to then see the other two guys hop into the back of the seats of our expensive 4x4 and soon disappear over the top of that dune that we'd just tackled. Uh, we waited there for about an hour and a half, figuring out which direction we might have to walk in in order to then see another person without accidentally over ending up in the Algerian border, because we would have gotten a lot of trouble for crossing the border illegally. We did have their beaten up old 4x4, but no keys, and none of us could uh, figure out how to hotwire something. It looks so easy in the films. Um, <laughs> so we were all seriously starting to consider which one of us would be first to be eaten. Uh, thankfully, those guys did return, and they explained that they wanted to shake us up a little bit uh, as uh, uh, almost a punishment for what had happened the previous night. They didn't explain any further. All they said was, you need to leave the area and try not to travel back through the village that you stayed in last night. Uh, we'd been back in the UK for about a month, and I was hanging out at John and Sarah's place, and John handed me a letter which uh, he'd received a couple of mornings previous, a letter that he believed was meant for me. The letter looked very fancy, it had this headed paper, and it was from the mayor of the principality of the town of Mohammed and the surrounding areas. And it was stating that a young man of my description, floppy hair, glasses that clearly had no function, 
was banned from the area not to return, having agreed over the course of a drunken evening to marry at least eight of the daughters <laughs> in the village, only to then disappear off into the desert the following morning. Uh, safe to say I've not returned to that area uh, for fear of what might happen, having had our little scare of being left in the, left in the desert. Um, Obviously, all the families had gotten together the next morning, very excitingly discussing how their lives were about to change because their daughters had agreed to marry a Westerner before they quickly realised that they were all talking about the same guy. Yep, the crap hair. Yep, the crap glasses. Uh, and I thought about this story when asked to do a speech because I turned 30 last year, and in the 13 years since uh, I took that trip to Morocco, nobody's shown the slightest interest in the idea of marrying me. Uh, and I, I wasn't expecting an hour, but that's okay, that's nice. Uh, and I wonder whether that's because some word got around about this trip before I decided to get up and talk about it. And I now come with a disclaimer that uh, don't count your chickens with this guy, because he's probably agreed to marry at least five other people before getting to you. <laughs> or ended up being the guy in Jane's story who has the WhatsApp group with five different people talking. <laughs> Thanks. Big Willets! Thank you so much. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich. 